0: Check it out. Welcome to Top of the Class, Hear from education experts and get insights from high achievers to learn how you can do the same. Get into those top schools. Ready?
1: Proudly presented by Crimson Education, the world's leader in university admission support.
0: Adam, it's awesome to have you on the Top of the Class podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So, I am 11 years old. I ha- I'm a public speaker having done over 20 plus talks um, standing by the mantra ability not age and i'm super passionate about reforming the current education system i've been attending primary and secondary schools since year four and i'm the youngest to ever be an alumni at tks and Awe academy and i'm just super curious and super social in general yeah
0: awesome oh wow okay so you're 11 years old You've done all these awesome things, a lot of public speaking spots as well. When was your first kind of, you know, feature in a public speaking arena, like when you were first taking the stage?
1: I can't exactly remember which one came in what order, but I definitely know two of them that were my first two. Guest 2019 and TEDx. Those were my first two talks, I believe.
0: And I think you are one of the youngest ever TEDx speakers. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah.
0: Wow. So which uh, which TEDx event were you a part of?
1: I was a part of TEDx at Dubai College. I actually joined a secondary group for the TEDx club. And mm-hmm. after I did my Ed, which was really good, I got selected to do a TEDx talk, which I took the opportunity for and did it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now, I loved you- it. Yeah, I bet. Like it's one of those things that uh, TEDx, you know, it's obviously got the the TED in general, like the TED talks that people might see online and that kind of thing. But TEDx is the independent ones, but that are branded with the uh, TED logos and whatnot. And it's still like a really great speaking spot to get. Uh, what did you do to prepare for that, and what did you end up speaking about?
1: Well, I spoke about um, reforming the education system, as I have all the way up, like till now, I guess. Well, hmm. since it was one of my first ever talks, it took quite a long time to, to prepare. I was I was writing like stuff down every day throughout the entire summer break. But how I usually prepare for talks today is I usually just mind map, which I have the mind map right next to me actually now on the whiteboard, that I just wrote down to get some of my points together, like into my mind and yeah, then I just revise, practice, practice, practice runs and then I hop on unscripted and I just do the best that I can.
0: Okay, so you mind map and script as well or do you just mind map practice? I'm unscripted. Kind of unscripted. Okay, so you basically just have your key points that you want to get across that you have yeah. on your mind map and then you take the stage unscripted. Yeah. Have you ever blanked whilst up on stage?
1: No, I don't think I have. <laughs>
0: Do you experience nerves when you when you get up on stage, or are you one of those weird people who are just completely calm and, and love the the time up on stage?
1: Of course, I experience nerves. It's completely natural. Not so much now since I've gotten like used to it over time, sort of. But definitely, when you're about to go up on stage for like the first few times, it's definitely really nerve wracking. And the way that I got around that, and tips for you students out there. I actually took my mind off it partially. I had my Rubik's Cube that I would play with for ages and ages trying to solve it.
0: Right. So you would do the Rubik's Cubing during the speech or before the speech? Before the speech. Okay. Because I thought that would be a bit weird if you were to bring the Rubik's Cube up on stage when you're talking about reforming (laughs) the education system. They'll be like, why does this guy want every student to have like a Rubik's Cube in their hands? Who knows? But yeah, take me through like your whole stance of reforming the education system because- to be honest, uh, you're not the only one with uh, some ideas in that category. I myself have thought about the education system being a little bit old school and, and it's pretty ripe for change. Uh, obviously, working at Crimson Education, there's a lot of people at Crimson as well who are pretty passionate about bringing the education system to the modern day and, and even like thinking beyond what we are, what we are today, but thinking about what we'll need in the future as well. But what's your stance on education and how you think it should be reformed?
1: Well, I have six key points that I'd like to share with you today. So the first one is my mantra, ability not age. And what this means is people should make decisions based on their ability and capability versus um, you know, their age, which is really just happens to be the year that you were born in. It's just a number. I don't know why that correlation is there between age and capability, and I don't think it should be there, because some people can be younger and have a really like great impact on the world. And I feel like for all the people out there, then yeah, they should just recognize that. And yeah, second of all, personalized learning. I think this needs to be implemented. So what personalized learning really means is going at your own pace, learning at your own pace. For example, if you're a bit of a slower learner, that's fine. You can just take some more time to understand the subject that you're working on. Versus if you're a fast learner and you get things really quickly, you can accelerate to the next stages faster just to keep up with your own pace. And this also means that the great boundaries, like your six and your seven content, there shouldn't be that sort of wall in between it, right? Like if the learning isn't challenging enough for you at one stage, you should be able to go to the next so that it is challenging yeah. and you learn things at your level.
0: Right. So we've got the two. So th- these are two. Big ways to reform the education system. We're uh, we're doing personalised learning, and we're also ability, not age. Stay on these two points for a moment, because these two points have been kicked around education circles for you know a considerable amount of time. People have said, you know, how are we going to best do this? How do we best cater to students who are advanced learners and people who are not advanced learners or who, who learn a little slower? And then, as well, like people argue oh, well, how about the social side? You might have, for instance, an 11-year-old who's super smart. I might well be talking to him, for instance, but not every 11-year-old who is super smart also has the social skills of a 16, 17-year-old as well. You know, like the the differences in just maturity from like even a biological perspective is very different. So what are your general views of like the argument against, uh, you know, ability, not age from a Maturity type uh, perspective or social skills type perspective?
1: I haven't really thought about this too much, but I definitely think that based on like maturity terms, sure, some details could be left out. Like, I mean, some things that wouldn't be so maybe nice Mm -hmm. for them to see, but if they are mature enough, then I guess those details could be left in because it's all maturity is important when you're going to another level, because there are some things that you eventually learn that if you're not mature, you wouldn't take that very easily or in a good way. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to look at your experience through the lens of these two things because you are the founder of the Youngest Guy in the Room series, which is an awesome series. So congratulations for that idea. I love the posts on LinkedIn where you are probably about like, a foot to two feet shorter than everybody else in your class. And like they're lifting you up so you can see what's going on in the science labs and this kind of thing. So what's your experience been as someone who has been living that life of ability, not age, you're in the class with classmates who are four or five years older than you?
1: I think it's pretty cool being able to go to higher level education because, well, At this point, we all treat each other like as equals, like I should be there and like we just get on with it, really. But I would say that there are a few more phases that come before that. So the first phase, when you just get in, is the proving phase. What it's really about is proving yourself. You have to speak up, show people that you can do this. And once you have, that comes the next phase, the whoa phase. And like everyone wants you on their team. Everyone wants you on their group project. If you're playing like a group quiz, everyone wants you on their team. And it's just great.
0: Yeah. So we've yeah. got the proving and the woe. This is like for every student who's going to be an advanced learner, right? And for students who are working perhaps with an advanced learner, someone who is 16 and has like an 11 year old in their class. So the proving, the woe, which I think is awesome. And I'm guessing you coined these terms, right?
1: Yeah. The third phase the one that lasts the longest, is the equal phase. You treat each other as equals, like classmates, and then, yeah, everything's normal for the most part.
0: That's such a cool way of looking at it, and I think that's such a better representation of what the real world is like. Since I started at Crimson, I've always thought that I work with people who are half my age and twice as smart, because the CEO of Crimson, when I started, I was like late 20s, early 30s and I thought I was still pretty young, right? But the CEO of Crimson was 19 at the time and like Harvard graduate, Oxford, Stanford, all this kind of stuff. And that seemed to be a lot of people in the company had these like amazing academic profiles and were like, you know, still in their teens or early 20s. I was like, oh my gosh. But after you get over the proving phase, you're absolutely right, actually. Oh my gosh. I just realized that my experience, is that experience? I was like, oh yeah, well, let's see what this kid can do in real world, you know, that like the real business world and proved it. There was definitely the woe phase. I certainly was impressed by all the things that, you know, team members of mine could do. And then age is not a factor. Like, as soon as you get out of school, age generally stops being too much of a factor. Um, and it should probably be less of a factor within the school setting. So, anyway, let's go back to the the six points. We've done the Age, not ability, we've done the personalized learning. Personalized learning, by the way, huge, interesting task in terms of, I think, like artificial intelligence and computers trying to understand where you are in your learning and creating challenges and problem sets to meet you where you're at in your learning. And I think that's probably the next generation of personalized yeah. learning. But what do you think of your third key point?
1: My third key point is actually, link think, personalized learning. It's actually tests, exams, assessments. I feel like the purpose now of tests is memorization, because really what happens is you revise, you memorize the content that you need to know, then you just regurgitate that on the test, and then you forget all about it the next day. Whereas I think tests should be able to like test the understanding versus the memorization. I think this is really important because some of these things might actually help you in the real world. You never know what's going to happen. So, then the way that this links to personalized learning is tests should be personalized to every person. For example, people want to do it pen and paper. Sure, you can do it pen and paper. People want to give a presentation. Presentation, yeah, you can do that. Project, mm. yeah, etc. Because there are many different learning types for many different people, right?
0: I think, yeah, you're absolutely right that testing has become a memorization and there's not everybody and I've had heaps of people on the show and even like students, she was just talking to a student who got into Harvard and she was like, I'm not a test person. She's like, I don't do well at tests. She's like, I do well in my schoolwork, but I'm not a great test taker. Because people get anxiety, or or they don't like the format in which the tests are necessarily presented, and I think that's a perfectly valid thing. And also, you're absolutely right that like sometimes, you know, there could be like a a ready-made or a born-to-be teacher among the students, right? And they don't want to be sitting there answering questions; they want to be given the opportunity to present their knowledge and teach it to others, which I think really shows understanding, by the way. And yeah, that would be an awesome format. Well, let's go to the fourth point.
1: The fourth point is that there should be future forward subjects and real life projects where you can actually make an impact at school. Like, for example, sure, math, science, English. Those are all pretty important. You should have a good understanding of them. But what's really going to help you in the future is different things like blockchain, AI brain-computer interfaces, stuff like that, cellular agriculture. These are the things that will be forming the future, right? And these are the things that will have job opportunities like coding AIs. That's pretty difficult. So it's going to be useful for you to learn them early on so that you know how to do them at an advanced level when the jobs do open up in the future.
0: I I generally think that the curriculum that is being served to the majority of students, particularly in the STEM subjects, is so far removed from the future of work, right? And oftentimes, like, there's no context given. I remember when I was in maths class, I put my hand up and I wasn't a huge fan of maths. And I said to the teacher, I said, Miss, when are we ever going to use this? Like, when are we ever going to use, I think it was like Sokotoa or whatever. I can't remember what we were learning. And she's like, well, uh, if you want to be a maths teacher, you'll need to know this. And I was like, I don't want to be a maths teacher. Like, give me something that's actually tangibly useful in a different industry. And it could be computer science. It could be solving some of the world's biggest issues that relies on some of the you know foundations that you learn in high school maths. But at the moment, like, I think a lot of the time, the, the content that they get taught in school, they find very difficult to relate how it's useful to the future of the world and like that's my take on it as well
1: exactly and the funny thing is that's the most important thing about learning like when you learn something you're gonna want to know next when you can use it in the real world you know that especially for me is really what links and connects the dots right Yep. between all the things I've learned, how I can use it in the real world and develops like an actual understanding of what it is and how it could be useful to me.
0: Yeah, real world application, I think is such a key thing. And uh, yeah, at the moment, I just don't think schools, particularly, I, I mean, my experience here in Australia anyway, and I think elsewhere around the world, it's pretty similar. They just find it very difficult to say, hey, this is the actual real world application, not just for now, but what it could be when you're out in the workforce, you know, five, 10 years time, these are the applications that this particular area of study might have. And it could be, you know, like helping climate change or relating it back to these big challenges that we're facing now. So I think that's a super crucial thing. And and you're absolutely right. Like there's some super exciting areas of advanced science and whatnot that are coming out. And it's like not even spoken in school, which is kind of sad and weird at the same time. What are we up to now? Fifth?
1: Five, yeah. Five,
0: all right, take it to the fifth.
1: Five is teaching mindsets. Mindsets are something that you will carry through life that will help you skyrocket, absolutely skyrocket. And they're crucial because I couldn't have gotten here where I am today without them. Here are some of the mindsets I use that I think could be really useful to all of you students out there. So the first one, is a growth mindset. Now I know that you might have heard this a bunch of times like oh a growth mindset's better than a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. But why is that? Well, it's because of, with a growth mindset, you believe in yourself. And that's one of the most important parts of actually like doing something and succeeding in life is believing in yourself because if you if you don't believe in yourself, then you don't believe in your health. You don't believe in yourself. English
0: apparently. English English please um, Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Like if you don't believe in yourself, then you are like, setting yourself a huge barrier nothing. for any anything that you might want to take on, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly why it's so useful. And especially the next mindset that I'm going to mention, anti-fragility, taking failure as a learning and bouncing back up from failure higher than you were before. Almost being like a bouncy ball. And if you don't believe in yourself, then you just, you fail Mm -hmm. and you think you're done. You've hit rock bottom. That's it. But no, theoretically, there's so much more learning there than anywhere else because failure is learning, basically. And if you just get back up, you can use that learning to your advantage and continue going.
0: Right? I would love to get an example of you failing, because I think someone like you doesn't fail a whole lot. Or am I completely wrong in that? And you fail a lot, but you also get up just as much.
1: The second option, actually, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I fail a lot, but there have been a few times. And trial and error is honestly the most important thing in how I developed like my skills. As in, one of the times I was on a podcast and not a podcast, a live interview, but I think a little bit too much of my personality came out and I didn't really share some of my talking points that I wanted to get across. Mm -hmm. But I took that as a learning and you know, now I've improved on that.
0: It's a lot of, particularly with interviews and and these one-off things, there's a lot of self-reflection that has to come from them and being like, not just, oh, that's done. I'll never think of it again. But okay, that's done but how did it go where did I think I could do better like what were the challenges these kinds of things that's what makes you a much sought after guest on all these different podcasts and shows you've been on right yeah you know you don't have to be modest about that I know that you are uh, featured pretty heavily which is great and it's great that you're I think you're seeing these opportunities like podcasts etc as a chance to grow your skills right
1: yeah exactly it's because if I can help other people whilst also, like, you know, helping myself improve, why not really? Like Win-win. genuinely help people and inspiring people just feel so good.
0: Right. Awesome. Awesome. And then the sixth and final point. See if you can uh, close sixth us out on these points.
1: And final point is there needs to be more AR, VR, and XR in education augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality. Now, okay, would you rather be learning in science, like, you know, about two elements reacting and on pen and paper, you have like a worksheet and stuff, or would you rather go into VR and into a virtual lab and actually have those two elements, watch them blow up the entire virtual building that you're in and see how they react? Genuine question, which would you pick?
0: Well, I mean like the VR experience sounds way cooler.
1: Exactly, right? And this is why it needs to be implemented everywhere. Not just in education, right?
0: Yeah, I mean there's I I've, I've seen augmented reality. I think the only place I've seen it is at the Apple store right outside the Apple headquarters in California. And that was pretty cool. I got to admit. That was pretty pretty snazzy. But yeah, other than that like I just don't think schools in general or I just don't think that the two people have met, like the schools and the technology haven't really come together and thought like, how can this be used effectively and still get the teaching points across? But it's definitely possible. What's your experience with AR, VR or XR is actually the first time I've ever heard that?
1: Mixed reality is really cool because literally you can go into virtual reality. However, it's also augmented reality. So you can see where you're in. Then you can click go into virtual reality, do stuff, and then everything. And honestly, my VR experience has been super cool. Actually, someone reached out to me a while back to try out their products in VR for education. And I really think that experience was great because it's more interactive, it helps me learn better, and three, it was just an amazing experience and it would get children a lot more excited.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, I think it's pretty an amazing technology there that needs to be utilized a lot more. But those are are six well-thought-out, very, very cool points that could really, as you say, reform the education system in a variety of different ways. If I could challenge you to take it one step further, and that would be to help teachers problem solve, bringing these things into the classroom. Because I know like educators, people with the money, you know, who are saying like, where are we going to spend our budget for the year or whatever? They're thinking, oh, you know, AR, VR, XR, that sounds expensive. Or like personalized learning for every student, that sounds expensive or these kinds of things. But I think like it's it's also bringing it back to what would be the cost of not doing these things? And it's like saying, you know, if you don't do these kinds of things, you have students who are disinterested in science, you have students who are disinterested in maths, who drop out of these, these courses, who go to university and they're a bit uninspired, a bit unmotivated. And then they like, you know, don't achieve the, the things that they could achieve potentially in the future. And that is a huge potential missed opportunity for the world, right? Like the job of school should be to get the most out of you know, this 12 years or so that students have. And, yeah, I think it's time that the education system really started catching up. To be fair, like there are schools out there who are definitely trying to do what you've just said. You know, like there's some great schools out there who are really pushing the envelope, but it's like across the world. Can we get all schools and governments aligned with these goals? I'm glad there's people like you who are pushing that kind of barrow uphill and and trying to make that a a reality. Like, have you had any conversations with people in government at all about this kind of stuff?
1: Well, no, actually not yet. Maybe sometime I'll have a few conversations, who knows?
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, the people, and this is for the students who are listening as well, if you're ever going to have a voice in an area that a lot of students tend to, I think, Adam, you might agree with this or disagree, feel free, but say, oh, look, I'm only a student. What impact can I have? But the area that you can have most impact in at the moment is in the field of education because you are a participant. You are someone who is the target market of it, the education system, our students trying to get them to achieve their very best. And so if you wanted to you know, just share your thoughts and speak out and be one of those students who adds their voice to the uh, reforming education crowd, then, yeah, 100%. Would you agree with that, Adam?
1: A hundred percent. And that's what I was trying to do with the youngest guy in the room series. Like since the youngest guy in the room series, I'm showcasing like what I've done being the youngest guy in the room as that has to occur quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not really about look what I can do or look what I'm doing. It's revolved around ability, not age. And it's more, look what you can do. Right? I'm using myself as an example, hoping to inspire people to find their voice and to speak up because I know how much of a difference every single person can make.
0: Exactly, and, and particularly like these students who are advanced learners, and, you know, and it can be very difficult like when you are an advanced learner, when you're in a class and it's getting kind of boring. And so it's an interesting thing to try and push your school to be on that ideal, to get on that same page as, hey, I'm an advanced learner, like recognize me for my ability, not my age, and put me in an older age group or with older classes. Can I ask how that conversation went with your current school and gave you that opportunity? Because not all schools agree with this. Not all schools will say, yep, 100%, go, you know, you're 11 years old, go learn with kids who are, you know, four or five years, your senior. A lot of them would be like, we'll give you more homework, but that's about it.
1: Exactly. And it wasn't, it sure wasn't easy. It's like nothing comes really easy to me and I'm not born with it. It's Mm -hmm. So I have to put in the work. And I don't think I was really involved much in this conversation. So I don't know many details, but I know that my parents, they just advocated super hard for me. So big thanks to them for helping me do what I'm doing today.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that that's a good point. And I thought that it would be your parents going into bat for you, uh, you know, particularly to try and get you to those older age groups, because they need to believe in you. And then they need to say to the school, hey, you need to believe in our son just as much as we believe in him and give him that opportunity. And it's about like just having the opportunity, right? It's that proving phase that you were talking about. And then once you've established the proof and then you've got the whoa, then you're like, okay. I'm here as an equal and, and I'll be here for the foreseeable future as well. So yeah, I think there, there's certainly a, a fair bit of uh, parent involvement, particularly for young people to be studying up a few age groups. But I remember uh, actually I was speaking to another student on the podcast a while ago and he's 17 now and he's already done a university degree and he's now at Harvard doing some, some business stuff as well. But he said like he was at a school that wasn't allowing him to move up and so he left the school. In, in a lot of different aspects, there's students who have the ability, but because the curriculum only demands that students learn up to this level, like that's the ceiling. And some teachers can be very strict with that ceiling and say, do not go past it, which is very hard for students who are advanced learners.
1: Yeah. There's definitely a lot of red tape, no, and bold letters. Like there's a bunch of rules and regulations sort of blocking you from getting there, but eventually you can get there. If you really want to, then you've just got to put in the effort.
0: Yeah. Now, what would you say for students who are in that kind of proving phase or that proving woe phase? You gave some awesome tips about like being heard, putting up your hand, like getting out there and getting involved in the class. Uh, but are there anything like, or any specific examples that you have of getting heard in those early stages of being in advanced classes? Because I feel like that's a really crucial stage for students who are looking to learn in more advanced year year levels.
1: I can 100% agree with you that that is one of the most crucial stages because if you don't prove yourself, then as is, like, you know, the parents will say, why is this 11-year-old here? Like, what does he have to do with our classes? Mm. And actually, a little story, from a while back, like a really long time ago, I was going into a robotics class and this is something that my parents told me. So I was going in and I was doing all the stuff because I could. And the age requirement, of course, was higher than like my age. And I got in, right? And I was mm-hmm. doing all the things there. And some of the parents were saying, who is this kid? Why is he here? And like, i just really had to prove myself in that stage and say like, yeah, this is why I'm here. I can do this.
0: Yeah, and, and and like it's it's also showing them, right? Sometimes words aren't enough. Sometimes you've got to be able to put in the work. And you know, it's a shame though that other parents would be trying, and I think it's like an ego thing in some respects. Like the parents are saying, Well, my child's seven years old. My child will feel dumb if they're working with a kid who's four years old, even though, like, you're a really smart four year old, for instance, they're trying to protect their child by saying, why is there a four-year-old in my child's class when there's mostly seven-year-olds? Like, you know, how is that allowed type of thing? And yeah, it must be like a really tough first few weeks there to, to really prove yourself. You just got to keep on pushing, really. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's look at the future for you, because obviously, like, I'm pretty interested as to how are you going to finish high school in the next like two or three years if you're already taking classes with older kids?
1: Well, I mean, I'm currently, next year, I'll be taking my GCSEs for physics, year 11, and year 10 is next year for chemistry. So what's coming in the near future for me within like the next year, I'm hosting an innovation brain pod. I'm going forward with Unity over the summer as that's one of my personal projects, you know, and yeah, I'm doing a bunch of stuff, really. I've got a bunch of podcasts and talks lined up, so To everyone out there, stay tuned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What's this Unity thing that you were just talking about?
1: Unity. It's a game development software. Actually, I'm digging really deep into it because I eventually wanted to make a game. And so I'm learning character movement now. And it's something that I'll be working on as a little personal project over the summer and continuing past that.
0: Adam, it's been an absolute delight. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go?
1: Yes, actually, there is. I actually have some advice for kids and parents out there. So let's get started with my advice for kids. Mm -hmm. I have three main points. Passion, it doesn't come immediately. That's my first point. Like, don't get stressed out because you didn't wake up one morning knowing that this is the thing that I want to pursue for the rest of my life. Because passion is found throughout curiosity. And this brings me to my next point. My mindset's, again, Um, curiosity is actually one of them that I think you should practice along with the growth mindset and resilience and anti-fragility because Mm -hmm. those combo, you believe in yourself and if you fail, you get back up and you're super curious. So you will definitely like look up, look up everything and like curiosity is just great for finding a passion as that's how I found mine Mm -hmm. and look where I am today.
0: Smashing it. Absolutely. And you know what? I was totally animated and like pointing at the screen viciously when you said that passion takes time because that is something that I'm super passionate about is telling students that passion takes time. Because I feel like in education in general, all these like public speakers come in and they just say, students find your passion, like do the thing that you're passionate about. Students are looking at each other going, Who's got a passion here at the moment? There might be one or two kids who genuinely have a passion, but the vast majority of students don't, and that's fine. Like, just as you said, be curious. The passion will come in time. Don't rush it. Like, it's something that you shouldn't, you know, be kicking yourself for not waking up with a passion. So I love that point. Now, what other advice have you got?
1: Now, my last point for kids is ability, not age. You can make a difference. You can make an impact. Just genuinely try to be curious to find your passion and whatever that may be, keep going at it and you will make huge impact.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And if I can add to that, I know this is your show, but I'm going to add something to that. And that is for students, don't necessarily associate a topic with an age level so say for instance if you're interested in you know um, some of the cool topics that you mentioned earlier what were some of the things you mentioned earlier like agricultural stem cells something rather like that
1: Cellular agriculture.
0: Cellular agriculture, right? Okay, so let's use that as an example. Like, you know, if you're in year seven or six or whatever, and you're like cellular agriculture, I read an article about that, and it sounds really cool. Don't then say to yourself, "Oh yeah, but it sounds like a university level thing, so I'm not going to touch it because that what's you know that's way out of my league type of thing." There's nothing to prevent you or stop you from learning about that topic from reviewing other people's research on the topic from you know finding or connecting with some people on Twitter or whatever it might be and and starting the the journey in a in an advanced or you know quote unquote advanced topic like don't think something is out of your reach or any topic is out of your reach like anything is accessible particularly with today and uh, the amount of information that's there online so that would be my tip as well for students
1: 100% now moving on to tips for parents First, supporting your curiosity of your kids is so like crucial because you're helping them find new topics and one of them may be your their passion to be, you know, you never know. And second tip, which relates to the first one, give them space to explore on their own because feeding them information constantly might result in a few things. An information overload, or they just need some space to, like, you know, find stuff out on their own, right? Mm. To truly develop their curiosity. Now, third, be an enabler and, like, you know, have their backs and open doors to opportunities. I feel like this is so truly important because not everything should be done alone and not everything can be done alone. And my final tip don't water down information. Yeah, We can understand more than you think we can understand, actually. You would probably be impressed by how much we can understand because we don't like things when it's watered down, really. We just want things to be explained to us in full rather than just the simplified version.
0: I love it. I think there's such great tips. And, you know, for students who are out there who feel like their parents are watering down things, if the students are listening but not the parents, for instance... Just be like, hey, just tell me, tell me what is going on with your work or you know, what you're talking about in the news or whatever. And if there's something I don't understand, I'll just go look it up. Like it's fine. It's, you know, students, have, or if there's something I don't understand, I'll ask you to explain it again, but don't water it down. You know, like there's a there's a big difference there. I've had such good tips. Man, exactly. you've you've nailed this whole thing. You've really thought about like all the key points you want to deliver. You learned that lesson from that earlier podcast or that live interview you did, right?
1: Yeah, I definitely did.
0: Oh, man, you nailed it. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Adam. I really look forward to sharing this yeah. episode far and wide and and uh, sharing it through LinkedIn. And speaking of LinkedIn, if students were wanting to connect with you, would that be the best way to do it?
1: Yes. LinkedIn, Adam O'Rafi, send me a message, like drop me a connection request. Super Hi. excited to meet you all.
0: Adam, again, thank you so much for coming on at the top of the class and look forward to sharing the episode far and wide.
1: Yeah, 100%. Thanks for having me. Thanks
0: for listening to Top of the Class. Subscribe for future episodes, for show notes, and to plan your best future, head to crimsoneducation.org.